Welcome to Purple Podcast, the fitness and lifestyle podcast of Purple Yoga and Purple Pedal. My name is Bobby V, your host, and with me today, Christian Allaire, who comes on the podcast and shares his journey from as a troubled teen. I rebelled quite hard, got involved in, in some drugs and alcohol. Things went awry for me, decoupling from any kind of discipline or structure. And what happened when he met a military recruitment officer? where he invited me inside the recruiting office. And I remember walking in there, you know, I had long hair and a Judas Priest jacket on. You know, just like in the movie Forrest Gump, when Forrest arrives at boot camp, somebody stepped on the bus and they start screaming at you. That's exactly what happened. They filed us off the bus. And I think within about an hour of of getting off the bus, we were in the chair getting uh, our hair buzzed. From there, he joined the U.S. Coast Guard, where he met some very interesting people some of which helped change the trajectory of his life. And during this rescue, uh, I got to know this couple, and I I remember thinking and then asking them, I'm going to say, what do you do? And they said, well, we, we're sailing around the world. We're sailing. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they, they, they just were sailing around the world. They were going from island to island, country to country. And I got bit by this dream of sailing around the world. Uh, so I started saving money. And um, I eventually bought a boat in 98 and moved aboard and lived on that boat for about 13 years. And though being a world sailor was great and opened his eyes to many different perspectives, he soon realized he was yearning for something else. As the novelty of, of cruising around the ocean started to wear off and it became a day-to-day routine, I started to feel, um, I guess what would be a loneliness but just the real instability. And then he learned something very important about himself. Like I was a master sailor. I could do many things. I had been in storms and served on five ships, yet I would get nervous about putting the anchor down on my own sailboat. I didn't know that at the time, but now some yoga and some philosophy training, I realized that I was, I suffer, I was suffering from anxiety. With no more sailing, Christian was able to find another tribe one that was very similar to his military one. That's kind of the way my military career segued into yoga was the fact that it was just another tribe and a community that, that thrives on trying to do things via a discipline, be happy and free and fun about it. And now today, Christian is part of the Purple community where he guides the community in a clear, concise, direct, and efficient manner. I don't like to explain things as this is wrong or this is right, because it's not that way. The only thing you really do wrong in yoga is that you injure yourself. But there are efficient ways in order to get into a yoga pose. When you go to a workshop like a Masters of Foundations, we actually talk about, you know, how to stack bones so it's not so hard to stay in warrior one for X amount of seconds. And then once a pose becomes more manageable, the body then naturally relaxes because then the breath relaxes. On this episode of the Purple Podcast. Hey, Christian. So last time we spoke, you mentioned that you had a bit of a hip injury. How's that affecting you and your practice today? It's all right. You know, um, part of the uh, yoga practice is learning how to... um, to practice with injuries, right? So uh, that's kind of a key component because everybody gets injured and lots of people just stop practicing. But you practice 
I mean, it doesn't matter how injured you are. You practice and you do what you can without aggravating the injury. And that's that's some that's some discipline right there. Let's talk about what you plan on changing for your practice and with your minor or not minor, but with your injury right now. The goal would be to to go into these poses, but a lesser degree, but really think and and scan the body about what's going on and uh, and and try to understand just by being in a state of inquiry as to what might be happening in the body. Also, another yogic perspective to that is um, that a lot of the things, the uh, injuries, the aches, the pains that start to come up in our life after we're practicing it for a while have a psychological component. And that speaks to, you know, the chakra system and um, where we get stuck energy. And so that is part of it or could be part of it. And uh, there's no, it's not like you can spreadsheet this stuff out and come up with definitive answers, but you, but it, it, it absolutely can be a cause. And so that's, you know, part of the practice is, is uh, trying to figure that out. So it sounds like you're very practical and analytical. You, you have a very practical and analytical approach to a lot of the things you do. Now, I know you have a military background. You were part of the Coast Guard for a couple of years or a couple of decades. How do you apply what you learn in a discipline aspect from your background in the military and the Coast Guard to your yoga practice today? Well, the nice thing about um, military service is, uh, especially after you do it for a long time, I did it for just a little over 20 years, is that there are are basic habits that are instilled in you. So even even the simplest things like getting up and making your bed, um, or you know coming to a, to a workshop or coming to work on time. And I mean on time isn't a minute or two afterwards. On time is on time. So you're present and ready to go whenever the function's going to take place, whatever that might be. So the military set up good habits for me um, that manifested into the yoga practice. And, um, you know, I'm a Baptiste yogi, and uh, Baron Baptiste is my teacher. And when I first started to, um, when I got exposed to yoga, uh, the studio owner that I was work trading at said, hey, why don't you become a teacher? Um, and I said, well, what do I do? And she goes, well, you go to this guy. His name's Baron Baptiste. He's got a, a 14 day program. And, uh, and then you get the skills that you need and you come back and you start teaching. So I went to the Baptiste program, which was billed as a, as a, a boot camp. And so when I got there to the, to the, to the Baron Baptiste training, I was shocked and surprised and happy to find out that it was really tight. You know, it started at 5 a.m. and that. Everything was regimented and structured in almost a militaristic fashion, and that really spoke to me. And that's how that's how I became inspired to to practice yoga because I I thought this is not just a bunch of people flopping around on a floor. I mean, there's a whole system of of structure that can go from a physical fitness structure that can manifest into all kinds of other places in your life. That's kind of the way my military career 
segued into yoga was the fact that it was just another tribe that held structure and um, in a, in a community that, that thrives on trying to do things via a discipline, but be happy and free and fun about it. Did you grow up with a lot of structure in your life? Well, um, I did. You know, my father was a, a disciplinarian in terms of, um, you know, you had chores and we had to be at dinner. We sat down as a family and there was a way of him keeping us in our lane, so to speak. But then as a teenager, um, I rebelled quite hard, got involved in, in some drugs and alcohol and that's when um, things went awry for me. And that's when I lost complete decoupling from any kind of discipline or structure. And I think the only reason I actually came out of that four or five year tailspin was the fact that I was I had these habits uh, that were instilled in me, these good habits um, as a young person. That I was actually able to, um, you know, to get back on track. So you joined the Coast Guard. It sounds like in your early twenties. Then is, is there a fun story behind that? Well, there is. It 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 it, um, it has a connection to the uh, the fact that I was not doing well as a teenager. Uh, you know, I, I didn't graduate from high school with um, you know with honors, and uh, I just wanted to get out of there. Things were not going well. It was the mid eighties. Um, you know, I was drinking a lot, that kind of thing. Uh, but I knew in the heart of hearts that, um, that, that, that I, I needed to do something. There needed to be a shift, some kind of a change. And uh, that's when I, I bumped into a, um, a recruiting, uh, recruiting officer down at the 30th street station in, in Philadelphia. And it happened very quickly, uh, where he invited me inside the recruiting office. And I remember walking in there, you know, I had long hair and a Judas priest jacket on, <laughs> You know, I remember I actually I was, I was uh, looking for something to eat. Right. And he offered me some food. Uh, but I went in there and what spoke to me was the uh, there was, uh, you know, posters and pictures of, of Coast Guard cutters, you know, lying at anchor with the backdrop of the Alaskan mountains, say, up in Juneau or up and along the Aleutian Island chains. And I remember looking at that saying, man, that looks pretty cool. Um, and it's not quite as strange as it might sound because as a kid, my grandfather had sailboats uh, up on Long Island Sound in New York. And so as a, as a child, I went up and went sailing with him and my parents and my grandmother. And we, we'd go cruising around, you know, these great islands out of Martha's Vineyard and Newport, Rhode Island. And I remember um, with my grandfather, he pointed out one day a uh, Coast Guard buoy tender that was pulling up buoys and setting buoys. And I remember that image, you know, people were working, they were in their hard hats. It just looked really cool. So then the moment I stepped into the recruiting office and saw those pictures, it just a light bulb went off in my head. Here's something that appeals to me. It's a way to get out of Dodge. It's a way to shift. And it worked because as soon as I got to boot camp, I had realized that I had made I had made a, a smart choice. And um, even during, I never even during boot camp, <laughs> even, during, even during boot camp, uh, I, I became more enthusiastic about the whole program. Uh, the more I the more I developed discipline, the more that I left behind that life that, that I was leading and the more enthusiastic I became about 
you know, getting out into the fleet and, you know, getting, getting some water under my keel. So how long was your hair then? Because when you go to boot camp, they normally make you shave it off right away, right? They do, right? So it was probably down to shoulder length. You know, I look like Cousin It. It was all hanging in my face. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I stepped on a bus in, in Philadelphia. That's where I got on the bus. And it was about a two-hour uh, bus ride to Cape May, New Jersey, where boot camp is. Yeah. And, uh, and we got there about, I think, 8 o'clock at night or so. You know, it was a bunch of other people on the bus with me, you know, people I didn't know. Basically in the same shell-shocked form or mood, which was what the hell did we just get ourselves involved with? And, uh, you know, just like in the movie Forrest Gump, when Forrest arrives at boot camp, somebody stepped on the bus and they start screaming at you. That's exactly what happened. They filed us off the bus. And I think within about an hour of of getting off the bus, we were in the chair getting uh, our hair buzzed. Jesus. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Right? I still got buzzed hair. You know, I, I, uh, oh no, I did grow up my hair after I retired, but that, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> You're living proof that being irreverent during your younger years, you can definitely turn around and instill some discipline in you. And so, you know, the, your journey is, your journey is quite interesting, my man. That's, uh, I'm glad you're on the podcast. Totally. So what did you do after the Coast Guard then? Because there's been, there was there might have been a couple of years in between the Coast Guard to where you are now as a yogi. I had uh, in 1994. I was stationed in Hawaii on a 110 foot Coast Guard cutter, and um, and we had rescued a um, uh, a French couple that had been rolled and dismasted off the Big Island of Hawaii, and they had been sailing around the world um, for many years actually. And during this rescue, uh, I got to know this couple, and I. I remember thinking and then asking them, I'm going to say, what are you doing? They said, well, we, we're sailing around the world. We're sailing. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they, they, they just were sailing around the world. They were going from island to island, country to country. And I got bit by this dream of sailing around the world. Even though when I had met them, they had basically met their doom and they almost had died and we had rescued them. That didn't even enter into my um, calculus. I wanted to sail around the world. Uh, so I started saving money and, um, I eventually bought a boat in 98 and moved aboard and lived on that boat for about 13 years. Wow. And my intention was to continue to do 20 years in the military, retire with my pension and then sail around the world. And that's what I did, but I didn't make it around the world. So, um, when I retired in, um, in 07, in September of 07, I took off from Newport, Rhode Island and um, attempted to sail around the world. I left and uh, went down the East Coast and then made my way out to the Bahamas and into the Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And uh, eventually I made it all the way down to Grenada. And that took three and a half years. Um, but, you know, I, I bought a car in Puerto Rico. I stayed there for eight months. I took a job as a charter boat captain. So I never did make it around the world per se, but I had an experience of a lifetime, uh, I would say a life-changing experience um, to, to be doing something like that um, at 40 years old and 41 and 42, 43. So when I stopped sailing, I was 43. Um, you start asking some real questions about what you're doing in life. And, um, and then 
after I had been doing it for about three and a half years, I just kind of, I ran out of steam. I had been there, done that, and I didn't see the point in continuing. Um, so I sailed back to, um, back to Florida. Um, and that's where I took my first yoga. That's where I really had my first yoga experience was at 43, uh, living in Florida. Um, and then after, uh, after about a five month stint in Florida, I, uh, shipped and trucked the boat across the country to California, to San Francisco, where I went to Dominican university, California, uh, got a degree, uh, in philosophy and under, uh, in humanities and cultural studies with a, uh, emphasis in, uh, Aristotelian philosophy. Uh, I then became a mortgage banker after that. And then I went on back to Dominican university and got an MBA in strategic leadership. And I got that in 2015. Um, I continued to teach yoga full time, uh, and then decided, uh, Oh, a year and a half or so ago that uh, I wanted to get a master's in yoga studies. And, and that's how I ended up in Southern California. I'm attending Loyola Marymount getting, a getting a master's in yoga studies. And that's how I ended up at Purple Yoga. And that is the, that is the quick and dirty uh, covering the last 10 years. Jesus, man, what else are you? A chef cook? Are you at all? Are you also a professional athlete? <laughs> uh, no, not, none of these things. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a completely flawed human being like the rest of us, right? <laughs> You're like a modern-day Leonardo da Vinci, dude. I, I wish. I wish. Uh, I am left-handed, although Leonardo was left-handed uh, naturally, and then he became ambidextrous. Dextrous. But, um, yeah, not uh, not quite as uh, as uh, as smart as Leo. But if I had a quarter of his brain power, I'd be, I'd be doing well. So you mentioned that being exposed um, and traveling around in Puerto Rico and Granada, Grenada and all that really exposed you to um, – quite an experience can you touch on that very, very briefly and what about like uh ex traveling around the areas made you made you feel a little more whole well um actually traveling around all those places actually went the other direction it made me uh unwhole to explain um you know the military uh, especially, uh, I'm not married and I, and I haven't been married and, uh, I was single for many years in, um, um, I, I live with my girlfriend. I've been with my girlfriend five years now. Uh, and, um, so there is that. Um, but what I'm saying is that the military as a single person, they transfer you a lot in that it's a little discriminatory for single people, it's cheaper and less expensive to transfer, say, a person from Florida to California than it is to move the service member and their entire family. So when it comes to transfer time, a lot of times the service will actually say, OK, we're going to take the single person and we're going to put them the furthest away to save money. So um, my service time, I mean, I started out in Cape May, New Jersey. And from New Jersey, I went to Seattle. From Seattle, um, I went to Rhode Island. From Rhode Island, I came back out to California. Then from California, I transferred to Hawaii. From Hawaii, I went back to California. Uh, I was in California. Then I went back to Massachusetts. I don't think I'm missing anything. But you get the point. You're transferred all over the place. And it was a very destabilizing 20 years in that you never really grow deep roots anywhere. And so... Uh, 
at the end of my service time, the 20 years, you know, I, I did have a yearning to find a home base and buy a house and grow some roots. But yet I went to, ch I chose to go the opposite direction. I chose to get on a sailboat and become a real drifter, so to speak, where you move with the weather, you move with the hurricane seasons and you meet people along the way, but then you break up with them and then you might see them in another port a year or so later. So as I began to sail and as, as the, novelty of, of cruising around the ocean started to wear off and it became a day-to-day -day routine, I started to feel, um, I guess what would be a loneliness, but just a real instability. And um, I would start to get anxiety over very weird things. Like I was a master sailor. I could do many things. I had been in storms and served on five ships. Yet I would get nervous about putting the anchor down on my own sailboat. Hmm. And, and that I didn't know that at the time, but now um, after some yoga and some philosophy training, I realized that I was, I suffer, I was suffering from anxiety. And, um, and so as I kept moving from island to island, it just got worse and worse. And that's kind of why I stopped in places. Like I spent eight months in, in, in Puerto Rico, you know, so I could be with the same people and kind of live somewhat of a normal life. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I had an incident in uh, St. Lucia, way down in the islands when I was with my buddy Tom and he jokingly pointed to some old guy with, you know, skin cancer and bulging veins in his neck. And he just looked, he just looked antisocial. And he pointed to me, he goes, dude, that's going to be you in 20 years. Wow. And he was only joking. He didn't mean it. Right. But that night I went back and I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I got long hair, a goatee, and I kind of looked like a homeless person. And I was like, you know what? He's right. And that is not going to be me, brother. No way. No how. And I decided to stop sailing at that point and, um, and then go to school on the GI Bill because I had the GI Bill from my military service. And um, I started – I got a map out and said, well, where, where am I going to settle down? And I decided to settle down in the San Francisco Bay Area and go to Dominican University. And that's exactly what I did. And I found I, – I, I, once I got back ashore, I found a tribe, which was my yoga tribe. And I found stability. I found purpose. And, um, and since I haven't put to sea in 10 years, I have no desire to go sailing. And, um, I think a lot of that is, is kind of been there, done that, but you know, I want to have a community and that's kind of the story with that. So you, now you have a home man. you're looking for a real home, huh? Totally. And what's nice about yoga and the yoga uh, community is that I could move from San Francisco where I had a huge yoga community that I, I participated in and I taught in uh, and was loved in and, and loved in. And now I've been in uh, Southern California, what, two months now? And here I am at Purple Yoga, you know, feeling that same, you know, connection, even though I don't know people, maybe their personal lives and stuff, but that connection of a studio that builds a community, it really is priceless. And it's such a strength of, of yoga. Well, speaking of the purple community, man, we couldn't be happy to have to have you. And you know, you've been a very, very nice um, blessing since you joined a couple months ago. And in particular, you 
you've brought a certain energy. I can hear a lot of people buzzing about you, talking about you. You're, they like your flow. They like your personality. They like the way you describe um, how you can create parallels between yoga, yoga dis, uh, disciplines and some of your military background, right? Like some of the stuff that I've heard you mentioned was front and center. You know what I mean? This is what you focus on. Like this is your target area right there. And and we're, and it's kind of like, wow, I think that's kind of a cool bridge that you can, you're able to build. You can talk to people in not such a, a hippie, hippie, woo-woo way that people might get, t- might get turned off about, you know? So I appreciate that your energy that you brought to Purple, my man. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough thing um, in order to find that balance point with being too esoteric um, because the yoga philosophy, as I'm learning at my uh, program at Loyola Marymount, um, you know, we're read, I'm learning to read and write and grammar and Sanskrit and um, in order to read the, the historical philosophy you know, the Rig Vedas and uh, the Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita, to read them in their original language, you know, to understand what the philosophies are behind that. But to take that language and turn it into a languaging that people understand in our Western, uh, in our Western world without isolating them is very challenging to do. Um, and uh, there's a guy named Mark Devine who I follow. He has got a great podcast called the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. He was, you know, a 20-year Navy SEAL, uh, runs a company called Seal Fit, and he's a master at it. And he's the one that uh, I, I, um, I lifted the term from him, front sight focus. So, for example, drishti in yoga is your, your area that you're concentrating on, you know, whether it's your thumbnail or whether it's a spot on the ceiling. But he, he uses, uh, you know, since he's a military guy, he's like the front sight focus. You know, when you're staring down the barrel of a weapon, the rear sight is is blurry and the front sight is tack sharp. And that's your and so he uses terms like that. And it might not appeal to everybody, but it appeals to some people can kind of understand that. Um, and uh, one of my areas of research at um, in my program is is um, yoga as a system of personal development and the attainment of self-mastery. And I'm working hard on on researching the underlying philosophies because yoga is an entirely complete system of self-mastery. Um, if you're not, if everybody wants to become master at themselves, but they just don't know where to start and it gets scattered. Well, yoga provides the perfect structure. It's right there. All you need to do is start to dig in and step by step by step by step, you begin to master yourself. And I want to try to get that on paper and then try to intersperse it in my teaching and provide workshops on it without making it too esoteric. Speaking of workshops, man, let's talk about your upcoming workshop on December 2nd called the Mastering the Foundations of Yoga out in Long Beach. This is going to be your first workshop with Purple Man. Are you excited? Totally, totally. Um, I've uh, I've done this workshop um, five or six times, maybe a, a couple of, maybe uh, maybe close to ten times. I can't remember exactly, but each time I've tweaked it a little bit uh, to 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 dial it in to keep it to make it really really nice and tight. Um, the the takeaway is 
that um, I notice not not just at Purple, but all the studios I've taught that you get newer practitioners come in to a studio and they don't know what's going on necessarily. They don't understand maybe the foundation of a pose or what to do. So they're looking around and they're looking at other students and they're picking up bad habits, so to speak. They see somebody doing something like, well, I guess they're doing it. That must be the way it's done. And um, and this is why weird things start to occur until a teacher will step in and say, no, 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 that's probably not the best way to do it. There's a more efficient way to do the pose. Yoga is confusing to newer practitioners because it is rather a chaotic system, meaning there are um, one teacher will say to do it this way. Another teacher will say it to do the complete opposite. Yep. And that's because the system of yoga comes out of India, and India is a rather chaotic society. And so I don't like to explain things as this is wrong or this is right, because it's not that way. The only thing you really do wrong in yoga is that you injure yourself. But there are efficient ways in order to get into a yoga pose, meaning yoga is not about expending energy. It's about it's – about, um, it's about managing the energy in your body, mental, physical, spiritual, intuitional. And the practice, the practice ground, the proving ground for that is the physical practice. And so um, when you go to a workshop like a Masters of Foundations, we actually talk about, you know, how to stack bones so it's not so hard to stay in warrior one for X amount of seconds. Um, and then once a pose becomes more manageable, the body then naturally relaxes because then the breath relaxes and then the body will be able to stretch because it's in a more relaxed state than constantly bound up. Does that kind of make sense? It does. And so the workshop will be targeted towards, uh, plank pose, chaturanga, Warrior ones, warrior twos, and especially Tadasana, mountain pose. There are common true north alignment principles that thread through these basic poses. And once you learn five or six or seven little key points, you'll start to see that in more advanced poses, all of these foundational points are incorporated in all of the poses. And then so I give you enough information to make you dangerous and then you go out and you become, you know, in, you do an inquiry into your own body. Does what he says work in my body? If not, well, then you tweak it. So that's that's kind of what I'm excited about, because people, I think, are much more capable of um, advancing their practice than they think they are. Right. So there's a mental block there. They don't think they have the strength or the technique to do it. Well, maybe they haven't had enough instruction in order to try to close the gap between strength and technique in order to advance onto the next level. Well, you mentioned you're an MBA. Are you going to be having a PowerPoint slides there? Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, and I'll, I'll do the PowerPoint with the intention of not sucking the life out of people, right? <laughs> so the, the military is the one that has, uh, that coined the phrase death by PowerPoint, right? Yeah. However, um, it can be a good tool in order to graphically display. So just some of the practical things for the, um, for the workshop is, is we're going to talk about some anatomy 
um, points. And that will be done on a PowerPoint slide so people can kind of get the visual. And then we'll do breakouts and we'll partner up and, um, and then start to break down some of the poses. Um, and then there is a, a kind of a free-flowing um, nature to this because if people aren't interested in learning the tenets of some pose, but they're really interested in maybe covering another kind of pose, we can shift fire and cover that. That's fine because I can get the basic foundation lessons taught within most poses. So, um, you know, bring the questions and, um, and, and if I don't know the answers, well, together we can kind of find out. So it sounds like it's a very interactive workshop then. So you got your, your PowerPoint for, for visual demonstrate or for visual effects. Yeah. You're going to be demonstrating. You're going to be having interaction with the students and then, you're going to be doing the poses, practicing, and working one-on-one -on -one with each other through partnering up. Yeah, that's that's generally the, that's generally the, uh, the 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 template. Um, we have to manage the time. It's a two-hour workshop, and you know we could we could we could spend a lifetime just on this topic alone. So we have to be mindful of that. But we'll flow a little bit. We'll probably do a couple of Surya Namaskaras, some Sun A's, just to warm the body up. Um, and then, um, I'll probably touch on just a couple of, um, small items, um, foundational texts, uh, you know, just to, just to say, Hey, here's where yoga is coming from. So in case they want to get deeper into that aspect of yoga, they know where to go. Um, and then of course I'll hang out afterwards and, and work with anybody that wants to, um, work on X, Y, or Z. And that goes for my classes, by the way. I always say at the end of class, hey, I'm here to serve, and if you have questions about poses, please ask. Don't be shy. I mean, that's what I do, and that's what I love. So I encourage anybody just to just to ask me or, uh, you know, send me an email. I have a website, uh, the ChristianLairYoga.com website. You can always email me there, and, um, and I'd be glad to help. That sounds good, man. So this workshop is on December 2nd from 11.15 to 1.15 p.m. in Long Beach. Now, if you guys sign up before November 25th, then you get an early bird discount for $30. And after November 25th, it looks like it is $40, right, Christian? That's correct. That's correct. And Christian, what do you normally teach, man? When I, my schedule is um, Thursday mornings. I teach uh, 10 um, and 11.30. Uh, there's a blue classes, a blue 70 and a, a, a blue 60. And then on Sunday mornings, 8.30 and 10 a.m., those are both red uh, 60 and red 70, or actually red 70 and red 60. And then also I've been able to do um, a fair amount of substituting. So, um, But Thursdays and Sundays are my, my normal classes. And then, um, you know, as my schedule, my school schedule becomes a little less intense, I'm going to try to tack on, you know, more more classes. Sounds good, Christian, man. Hey, next time you come on the podcast, let's talk about some philosophy and some fun stories from sailing and what you've learned and how you found parallels and life lessons through that. Sounds good. Would love, would love to do that. Thanks for the time and, and, uh, and look forward to seeing everybody at the yoga studio. Hey, thanks for listening into the Purple Podcast. 
Now you can find our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search Purple Podcast. Can't find it? Try Purple underscore podcast. And if you like our podcast, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That way it can be more easily found. And also, share our podcast on your social media. That way we can connect with more like-minded individuals. You can also find more information about our studios through our website, purpleyoga.org. And don't forget to connect with us on social media. For Facebook, look up both studios, Purple Yoga or Purple Pedal. And on Instagram, try purple underscore yoga and purple underscore pedal.